Thanks for being here today with us. Glad that you would join together and worship God. Uh, my name is Matt Rawlings, one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you. Add my welcome to Tyler's and say thanks for joining with us. Thanks for being here. If you are a visitor, hopefully you got a little welcome card as you came through the doors. If you didn't do that, uh, I'd encourage you to pick one up out in the lobby afterwards. There's a little uh, information sheet there you can fill out and exchange that for a free book. Uh, we would love to hear about how you found us. And if you have any questions, we would love to help answer those as well. Um, thanks again. It is always a privilege. Whenever we gather together, it is a privilege to gather together as God's people. It is such a joy to be able to hear everyone singing, to, to listen when Philip and the band, when they stop playing and to hear all the voices of God's people. What you're hearing is the voices of those who've been redeemed singing to the Redeemer and crying out for the Redeemer at the same time because we need both, Right? Amen. Well, uh, two other people I wanted to announce or welcome here that I think it's their first time here. I'm not exactly sure, but uh, they are small people. They're very small people. And one of those is Avery Pruitt. I thought I saw, is, is, he's in nursery already. Okay, well, this Avery, Ashley is in nursery, so Avery is with her. So Ashley has Avery here this morning. Phillip's youngest is here this morning. And then I think we also have an, an, an Easton with us as well. Is that true? Did I see one of the new Eastons together here today? Is that is Roger pointed? I don't have my glasses on, so I have a hard time. Uh, when you get older, you can't see as far. But yes, oh, wonderful. Right there in the back, perfect. Lucy Easton is here this morning too. So welcome to Lucy. Thanks for being here with us. Uh, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 3. We'll be reading verses 1 to 17. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 17. This is Paul's kind of diving in. He's, he has laid the groundwork for some of the things he's going to be bringing to the Corinthian church. He has, he has talked to them about their attitude towards each other. He's talked to them about how they view God. And he's talked to them about the foundation that they, they need to have and the fact that, that we can only build on Jesus Christ. Now he's about to bring them some correction. And it's kind of surprising because he calls them infants. I don't know about you, but if I was hearing a letter from an apostle to our church, it's probably not what I'd want to hear. But that's what they hear from Paul. And then he explains why. And in this whole passage, really, it's all about how they're relating to each other in the church. It reveals something. How they are relating to the church, how they're building in the church, it reveals how they relate to God as well. So let's look in the passage together. 1 Corinthians 3. 1 through 17. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Paul? What then is Apollos? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. 
So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would use your word to shape how we view your church, how we view each and every person here, our fellow believers. I I pray that your word would inform and transform the way that we think about those around us here and the way that we think about our part in building this church that is your temple. God, I pray, pray that you would cause people to grow Lord, this is your field, that you would cause people to be built up because, Lord, this is your building, that you would cause us to worship you as a result because, Lord, this is your temple. Father, I pray that you would give us the gift of your spirit to illuminate our hearts and minds. God, would you give me the gift of your spirit to hear from you, to communicate your words, Lord? And and Father, I pray that any words that are not from you would fall aside, but, Lord, words that are from you, I pray, would find their place in our hearts and minds. We need you, Lord. We are weak people, but you are a great and mighty God. And Lord, we pray that you would bring growth to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to look around. I've done this before, but for different reasons. I want you to look around the, the room. Look around the room. No, for real. Like, turn around. Look all around the room. <laughs> look on the far side of the room. Look behind you. Look in front of you. Look all around the room and, and, and see the people around you. I want you to see that we're a motley crew, and I don't mean that to be insulting. Uh, we are a very different group of people. We, we come from different walks of life, different seasons of life, different ages and stages, different, different skin tones. Um, we, we come from different backgrounds. What you're looking at when you're looking around, what do you see? What do you think when, when you look around at people around you? Do you think, whoa, they look rough, or wow, they didn't get any sleep last night, or, or you know, are you impressed with people's clothing, or are you unimpressed with their clothes, or are you like, whoa, they got their hair done, or uh, what do you think when you look around the room, when you see people, what do you see? For the most part, as you're looking around, the people that you're checking out are those who are in Christ Jesus. That's who we're looking at. The people when we look around the room are those who are fellow, by and large, fellow followers of Jesus Christ or, or they're here because they're, they're 
perhaps investigating or seeking whether or not they should follow Jesus Christ. Is this Jesus really worth following? But, but the large majority are those who are seeking to follow Jesus Christ, who are disciples of Jesus Christ, who are the body of Christ. Most people here aren't really who they seem to be, though. Now, I don't mean that we're all hypocrites, but obviously we all are to some degree, right? None of us live like we know we should. But what I mean is, when you look around, you're only seeing part of that person. When you look around, you're just seeing this, this humanity, clothed in frail humanity. You're seeing the, the part of us that decays, the part that wears down. And as we all age together as a church, we're seeing other, each other wearing down more and more. Um, you're, you're looking around and you're seeing the frailty. Maybe you see their clothes, their hair, or their scars. But they're more than that. They're more than what you see when you look around. When you look around, what you're looking at is people who've been made alive by the Holy Spirit of God. You're looking at people who once were dead and have been resurrected. You're looking at people who, who have new life in Jesus Christ, who've been born again, who are not defined by what they're wearing, even though you might do that. They're not defined by, by how much weight they have on their frame. They're not defined by what they look like. They're not defined by what you see. They're defined by who they belong to. They're defined by who they are. And they're in Christ, and so are you. And together, all of us are in Christ and belong to Christ, all those who are following Jesus Christ. But it's, sometimes it's hard to see that, isn't it? Because sometimes what gets in the way are all the little things that bother us about each other. Now, when you looked around, did you avoid eye contact with anybody? Don't answer that. <laughs> did you avoid looking at people? Or when you looked at people, did you cringe a little or think, oh, you know? How are you consciously viewing people? Are you viewing people by their faults, by their flaws, by their appearances or annoyances, or whether you like them or not, or whether you think they're like you or not? Or do you look for people who you think you can relate to or might be like you? The Apostle Paul, he's, he's writing to the Corinthian church because what they are doing is they are primarily relating to each other on the basis of fleshly externalities. They're relating to each other. They, they, yes, they're all believers because he tells them later that you're not going to be burned up. All your works are going to be burned up, but you're not going to be burned up. You're going to be saved, but boy, it's going to be able to do fire because how you're relating to each other, you're relating to each other on an earthly basis. You're relating to each other like you're still in the flesh. You're acting like you've not been born again. You're relating to each other like you're babies still. And why he says that is because those who are relating to other people who have been made new in Christ, if you're relating to somebody on the basis of the flesh and not on the basis of Jesus Christ and him crucified for that person, then you're still infantile in your thinking. That's what Paul says. And so he brings some correction because he wants them to see that how you relate how you relate to others in the church, it reveals your own maturity. How you relate to other people in the church, it reveals your own maturity. That's the first point that, that if you're taking notes, you can write down. How, how you relate to others in the church, it reveals your own maturity. Paul said, you think you're wise or you're kind of glommed on to your favorite leader and you identify by them so you think you're superior in that way or you think that, that your preferences, your desires, that makes you more significant but what it really reveals is that you are not as wise as you think you are, you're really just babies still. That would be a hard word to hear, wouldn't it? 
I would not want to hear that. Now, I'm grateful that, that I'm not aware that this church is relating that way. This is not a corrective word for our church. However, um, God's word is helpful because it helps keep us from that. It helps us from, keep from being a baby kind of church, an infantile kind of church. It helps us from being a people who aren't subtly tempted to go back to those old ways of looking at each other. Because you know what? I bet all of us, to some degree, are tempted to look at each other based on those old fleshly ways. And that's what we're going to see, really, that Paul is driving home, is that how you relate to each other in the church, it, it reveals your own maturity or lack thereof. And that's good. You know why? Because God wants us to see us, because, not because God wants to make us feel bad and feel like, oh, no, I'm, I'm an awful person. No, because he doesn't want you to be stuck there. Paul doesn't want them to be stuck there. He wants them to grow. He wants them to be mature because they are a new creation, so they can be, they can grow. A few years ago, I had throat surgery to not only remove my tonsils, but to some, some stuff that was growing in there that shouldn't have been growing. And, and when they did, they put me on a liquid diet for almost two weeks. And so, so it, was, it was miserable. Uh, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't eat and swallow anything. I thought I could, and then I tried, and then it really hurt, and I realized that was a bad idea. And, and I was on this liquid diet for a week or two, and I was like, I remember telling my wife, I was like, I feel like I'm a baby again. And then when I started eating food, I could only eat soft stuff. I couldn't have solid food. And, and surprisingly, I actually dropped some weight. I gained it all back since, so don't, don't worry. But um, I, I dropped some weight. Because when you're on a liquid diet, it's, it's really hard to get nourishment. It's hard to get food. It's hard to grow. When you're eating baby food as an adult, it's hard to get nourishment. And Paul's telling them that that's what you're like. It's like you're, it's like you're still eating baby food here and you're not eating the nourishment of who Jesus Christ is and you're not viewing each other on the basis of Jesus Christ and him crucified and you're not relating to each other on the basis of the gospel. You're not considering each other as better than each other and, and, and others as better than you. Instead, you're considering yourself as better than them. And that's like you're still eating baby food and you're never gonna grow doing that. They've relapsed back into relating to each other as if they're baby Christians, and they, they've relapsed to only looking at each other in a superficial way, only relating to each other superficially, and it's like they're eating baby food. And so Paul probably was being accused by them, you're not giving us anything meaty because, Paul, you just keep giving us the gospel. He's saying, yeah, I gave you, I gave you baby food. I gave you the gospel. It's not that the gospel is baby food, but I gave, I gave you what, was, what you need to be able to grow to the first place, but then I couldn't tell you how to apply it because you couldn't move past it because you're not viewing each other on the basis of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I couldn't address you as spiritual people. I had to address you as people as if you were still of the flesh, as if you haven't been made alive by the Spirit, as if you've not been born again. And so I had to address you that way because that's how you're acting, is what he tells them. I can imagine this went over really well. <laughs> if you were receiving this letter, that would have been hard to hear. He's telling them that you have the spirit, but you're behaving and acting like you don't. And for us, that should actually give us pause to think, wait a minute, am I relating to other people as if, I, as if they don't have the spirit, as if I have not been made alive in the spirit and they've not been made alive in the spirit? Am I relating to other people on the basis of Jesus Christ and crucified? And am I seeing people through this gospel lens or am I seeing people through a worldly lens based on worldly wisdom again? Because if so, then, then that, I'm never gonna grow can't grow that way. 
So Paul tells people, stop it. Don't, don't live like that. Live like who you really are. Live like the spiritual people that you are. Learning how to apply this, this meat, this solid food he's talking about is actually, it's not going to be leaving the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's actually learning how to apply the teaching of Jesus Christ, of who he is, his character, his nature, to our daily lives, to transform our thinking, to renew our thinking, so that we view ourselves and each other differently. And that's, that's deep. That's solid food. It takes a lot of work to chew on, to feast on. The problem is the Corinthians weren't ready to hear that because they were saying, well, thanks for the gospel, and they moved on. And instead now they're saying, well, now we're going to build on what we think is wise. We're going to build this church on what we think is wise, and we're going to be a powerful and influential church, and we're going to be in a church that's impressive-looking, impressive-sounding. And Paul says, no, you're not living wisely. You're, that's a foolish way, a fleshly way to live. You're looking for the kind of wisdom that the world gives. You're impressed with the things that the world is impressed with. I think sometimes we're tempted that way too, because we're not an impressive lot here, by the way. We're, we're not an impressive church. Now, we are an impressive church in the eyes of God, but, but in some sense, in the world's eyes, we're not an impressive church. We have a relatively unimpressive building. We are so grateful. It is a wonderful gift from God, and I love it. It's great. I don't mean to denigrate that, but it's a gift. But at the same time, you know, we're, we're not a very impressive church, but you know what? Um, God doesn't look at the church the way that, that the world does. And we're not meant to either. We don't look like we're impressive people, but you know what's impressive about us? We've been made alive in Jesus Christ, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. He's made us alive. He's transformed us. We don't have to be who we've always been, that we can grow in him. But they were failing to see that. And, and so Paul says, you, let, me, let me tell you how I know that you're still of the flesh. He said, because there's jealousy and there's strife. There's jealousy and there's strife. And so you're acting like little babies still because there's jealousy and strife among you and, and you're behaving, you're relating to each other on the basis of the flesh. And, and, and why that's significant to see is because wherever there's jealousy, whenever there's strife, we're not relating to each other on the basis of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that he has broken down the walls that, that divide us. He has broken down the walls that separate us. He has removed the hostility from amongst us because he's taken the hostility on himself. He's already condemned the sin of the person you're condemning himself, put it to death on the cross so that you no longer have a right to condemn. Instead of considering others, they were asserting themselves. So he asked him some rhetorical questions and he says, hey, if you see this presence of this evil fleshly fruit of jealousy and strife among you, what do you think it reveals? Doesn't it reveal that you're just behaving in a fleshly way, that you're only relating to each other as if you're mere humans? But you're not, is what he says. You're not mere humans. Church, you're not merely human. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are not merely human. You're a people united by the cross. He says that their thinking, their behavior needs to be retooled so that they, they act like the new spiritual people they are. And so he says, because when you, what's, what's happening is you're, you're acting like, hey, I'm following Paulus, I'm following Paul. Um, he says, aren't you just being merely human? Are you engaged in these power plays that the world is engaged in? You're trying to be important. You're trying to find significance in your roles in the church. Isn't that what the world does? Trying to be impressive. Trying to seek attention in the church the way the world seeks attention. 
Not only that, they're relating to their leaders and not only each other, but they're relating to their leaders in a really unhealthy way. They're relating to their leaders in an unhealthy way, both for their leader's sake and for their sake. They're putting their people up on pedestals. Some people are elevating leaders on the pedestals, whether it's a, you know, they're, they're Apollos or Paul or whoever their small group leader was or their pastor was at the time. They're putting the leaders up on pedestals. Some of them are. And other ones are saying, we don't need them at all. They don't make a difference. And Paul's correcting both views. He says, you're not just relating to each other in, in a way that's infantile, that's fleshly, and, and that shows your own immaturity because how you have strife and jealousy, but also the way you're relating to your leaders, that's not right either. That reveals your immaturity. When you're looking to your leader to be your savior, you're not looking to the savior. When you're viewing them as if, as if they are your hope, then your hope is immature. Your hope is fleshly. He says, what is Paul? He doesn't say, who is Paul, who is Apollos? He says, what then is Paul? He moves away from the who of leaders to the what, the function of the leaders. He says, you know, you're even, you're even viewing your leaders wrongly. He corrects those who have a high view of their leaders and those who have too low of a view of the leaders both. He says, what, what are they? They're, just, they're servants like you. So he, he takes them down off that pedestal and says, don't relate to them that way. They will never meet all your needs. They will never fulfill you. They will never rescue you, save you, transform you. You're only transformed by Jesus. And so he says that, that don't look to your leaders that way. They're fellow servants. They're fellow servants. They're fellow workers. You know, boasting in the farmhands as the source of their hope, it's silly. He says they're, they're farmhands in God's field. They're, they're farmhands, so don't act like it's their farm. It's not. It's God's farm. His crops. He's the one who gives growth. He's the one who causes fruit to be born. But at the same time, he also corrects the notion that, that they don't need their leaders either, that their leaders didn't have any, don't make a difference, they're not important, and that all of them have the same role. And he says, no, no, that's not true either. He says that they're servants through whom you believed. They're important because they point you to believing in Jesus. And also they're important because they have functions that are needed. They needed Paul to plant the gospel. They needed Apollos to water the gospel. If you have a plant that has never been planted with a seed, if, if you expect a crop when there's never been a seed put in the ground, or if you expect that crop to grow, if there's no watering, then, then that's a foolish way of thinking of things because it's not going to happen. So he says, I planted Paul's water, but God gave the growth. So it protects us both from underestimating and overestimating leaders and how we view each other. They're different in the sense they have different specialties as farmhands, but both of them are important. They had different functions. Paul's function was a plant. Paul's function was water. But, but God was the one who brought the growth. And that's where we need to look. We need to look not to, hey, I don't like, I don't like his style. I don't like the way he says things. I don't like, I don't like my small group leader or the way he asks questions. Or I don't like the way he leads the group. And we say, wait a minute, hang on. Um, we're looking to God to bring growth and we're investing too much hope in people. Let's instead listen for God's voice speaking. Let's instead seek God to help us grow. Look in verse 7, it says, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. They needed to stop focusing on their preferred leaders as if one of their leaders was more significant than the other, and as if they were going to rescue them. Their leader was their hope. God is the one who grows the church. 
The leaders of a church don't make a church grow. And if you look at the leadership of the church and think that way, like they're keeping our church from growing, then you're not having a biblical godly view. Or if you're thinking the other way, that that leader is the reason our small group or our church is growing. That's not a godly biblical way of viewing it either. Why are some churches large, some churches small? I don't know. It's not necessarily a measure of maturity. Either way, why do some people grow in Christ and, and others do not? Well, that's God who brings the growth. The problem is the churches in that day, they, in, in, the, in Corinth, it was full of jealousy and strife. It wasn't spiritual. They were still babies. They were relating each other on the, on the basis of what they saw. They were relating to each other in a fleshly way. Now, you might be thinking, I don't, we don't do that, right? I don't, I don't do that. You might be thinking, I don't, I don't relate to people that way. I don't see people that way. But let me ask you, when you think of others in the church, you think of them as they or them, right? You know, you know what I mean? When I, you know, as in they always do that or, or they believe that or they think that way or their way is backwards or their understanding is not too bright or their way of looking at these things is, is backwards or they aren't like me. I can't relate to them. You ever think that way? then you're probably beginning to think in some fleshly ways. You're thinking in fleshly ways. You see, instead of they, it's, it's a we. Right? Together, we are the church. We are God's building. We are God's fields. We're going to get to that in a moment. Or maybe, if, are you holding on to a grudge against a fellow believer? Subtly, maybe you haven't said anything. You're holding on to an offense. Maybe they said something wrong. Maybe they said something the way you didn't like or maybe they didn't greet you in the way that you thought they should greet you. They were in a rush and they didn't see you. Are you assuming the worst? Are you believing that they don't like you, that they're snobs? When you encounter a fellow worker, do you think in them, of them in regards to how they've offended you or snubbed you or wronged you or said something you didn't like? Do you think of somebody else in, in the church as, as less mature than you do, you think, I'm, I'm, I'm more mature than I don't really need to hear from them. Or, or yeah, when you're talking to somebody, you ever have this go through your head, you're thinking, I, I, just, I just want to get away from this conversation. I don't want to hear them anymore because they have no value. You might not think that overtly. But you're stuck in a conversation with somebody you don't feel like talking to and you're thinking, I don't, I don't care what they're saying. I don't want to talk to them. Maybe you're falling into those fleshy ways of thinking about people in the church. You ever feel like people in the church don't add any value to you because they're not like you? You know, part of the value of the church is that people aren't like you. That's why God does this, is he brings a myriad of parts because if we were all fingers, it would be a really weird body. Maybe you're upset at somebody else in the church and you feel like you have every right to be upset because they've done something to offend you. And you have every right to be in the right and they're in the wrong. But maybe you're not applying the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified to that kind of thinking because Jesus gave up his rights. Do you know that he gave up every right that he had? Not only as a human, he gave up all his human rights, but he also gave up all of his rights as the son of God to take on all of your wrongs. So isn't it possible that he'll enable us to give up our rights, that he's calling us to do that? so that we might help bear each other's burdens. How we relate to others in the church, it reveals our own maturity. 
is what Paul says. He says, you're acting like you're merely human and like you belong to yourselves, but you don't. You belong to Jesus Christ. Men made alive by the Spirit. The question is, are we living as if we belong to him? Are we living as if our fellow believer belongs to him? How you relate to each other in church reveals your own maturity. And the second thing we see is that how you build in the church or how you build the church, it reveals who you think the building is for. How something's built is very important. We, we learned that lesson just a little while ago, a couple months ago. In, in, in June 24th, there was the Champlain Towers South building at 1.25 in the morning. It collapsed. And in the end, after 32 days of searching for survivors, the search was called off and 98 people were declared dead. It was a tragedy. It deeply affected that, that, that tight-knit community in Surfside, and it, it affected all their families. And most of us probably thought, how in the world can that happen? How in the world does a building just collapse well, it's come out that they, they believe that the problem was that, that water had crept into the foundation, had seeped in and it had corroded the concrete and the concrete had become um, brittle and it, it, it collapsed, led to the collapse. It eroded, it cracked and it led to a collapse. It led to the destruction of the building. And in, in this passage, Paul is saying, be careful how you build. Be careful how you build. Pay attention to how you're building the church. Pay attention to how your leaders are building the church, but also for you, for all of us as members of the church. Together, we actually build the church up together. It's not just me and Aaron and our small group leaders or our deacons. It's not just people who serve on ministry teams. It's, it's all of us together. We are a part of building up the church. So he says, be careful how you build the church because how, what you're building on, that foundation, it matters. How you build a building is important. Those who build poorly will give an account. And, and oftentimes when, when we're not building or taking care of how we're building on that foundation of the church, it's because we're not looking as a church as important. And why? Because we don't see this as the primary means that God uses to establish his kingdom. We don't see that this, this building is actually God's building. It's God's field. What does he say in, in, in verse 9, I believe? It's, he says it's... We're God's fellow workers. We're God's field. We're God's building. If you really see that this is God's building, you're going you're gonna to take care of it, of how you build on it. If you see that we together are God's building, it's going to change the way you think of how you build in the church. If you see that together we're God's field, it's going to change how you think of cultivating this church. Paul and Apollos, they were workers in the field, but then he shifts the attention. He says, you are God's field. God's at work in you. Do you see that? Do you see that this is the, the primary means that God uses to grow people? People are planted and put into this field of the church. That's what God's good design is. God's good design. So this, this passage is not an individualistic passage. So many times it's been preached and taught that way, and I looked at it that way. And I, I, be, I began to study this, and I was thinking, hey, this is going to be a great message on, on the work that we build in our lives, and are we building our lives in the foundation of Jesus? And yes, while that is true, that's not what the main idea of this passage is. It's talking about, are, are we building the church on the foundation of Jesus Christ? Be careful how we're building and by the way, all of us are part of this building. This is not just an individualistic thing. This is a community thing. 
This is a community building project. So he's not talking about individualistic lives, although that we all live as individuals as part of the church, but the reality is we're knit, we're joined together, we're, we're all building bricks or blocks, fit and joined together into this thing called the building of the church. And I don't mean the physical building, but we as a people are the building, with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And so he says, let each one take care how he builds. He says, according to the grace given to me, looking down at verse 10, he says, I, I, I like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And we know what that foundation was. The foundation is, is Jesus Christ. And he says, and someone else is building upon it. You have other leaders now. And he says, but let each one, not just each leader, but let each person, let each one. So this isn't a passage that's, that's written to, to just inform people about how leaders in the church should lead and what they should build on, what kind of church should be built, although it does that. It's about how each and every one of us is building the church and we're a part of it and let each one take care how we build. Let each one take care how we build. Are you taking care of how you're building the church? How you build the church reveals who you think the building is for. Do you, you think that, that this building is... I don't mean this physical building, but this church is that the church exists just for you? Or do you think that it exists for God's purposes to help people grow, to help others grow, so that we can all together be built up into Christ? So that we can actually be the three things. He talks about being a field, being a building, and being a temple. They all have different uses, and what Paul is trying to communicate here is as a field, that's where people grow. The church is important because people grow here. Take care. You grow here. You need the church, you need the field to grow. A seed not put in the ground and not put into a field is going to have a hard time growing. Paul says this is God's field. He's going to bring growth and he does that through the church. It's also God's building too. That, that it's, it's the place where people are built up and strengthened and, and where people are solidified in Christ. It's God's building, but it's not only God's building, it's also the temple. The church is the, the temple in the sense that, that his spirit dwells collectively in us. Where two or more are gathered together, there he is in our midst. His spirit is in the midst of us. And if you think about this church, this church is meant to be a means of worship that the world would behold and see God and worship God. Take care how you build. Are you viewing yourself as a field, as God's field, as God's building, as God's temple? If so, that's going to change how you contribute to the church, the part that you play in the church, and the significance that it has. He says, well, there, there is no other foundation. Don't try to build on any other foundation in the church. He says, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It's not like you can, the church is founded on Jesus. You're not unfounding the church. No one can lay a different foundation. So don't try to build anything else on it. Don't build a church on programs. Don't, don't place this huge important in finding, when you know, I want to go to the church that, that I feel like is, is going to be good for my kids or good for this program or good for this program or that thing or because they have this specific ministry that I like. Be careful how you're building. The stability and durability of other foundations may might seem appealing. But at the end, he says, anybody else tries to build their lives on another foundation, that kind of work that they built on is going to be revealed. When, it, when a church is built like that, it might grow huge externally and numerically. You might have massive churches. You might have these churches that look successful, look great. But he's saying, be careful, because in the end, what's not built on Christ is going to be revealed. 
And he's, he's not saying that, you know, you probably have heard an analogy where every, some person has put, uh, well, this gold is like this, and silver is like this, and the jewels are like this, and wood is like this, and stubbles. Paul's not doing that. He's, just, he's saying, build on what's not perishable. Build, build with imperishable materials. Don't build your life on those things we're going to burn up, the imperishable. Don't build the church based on imperishable materials. Um, build the temple on the basis of imperishable things, things that are worthy of building the temple up with. We go hiking, and often, if we're going through a remote area, we'll pass by an old chimney, and there's an old chimney standing, and there's a little foundation, and all that's remaining is the stone. You think, what happened there? When you can look closer and you can see that at some point there was a fire and, and all the wood and everything combustible, everything that wasn't built out of stone, it was, it was burnt up. When a, when a fire sweeps through a building, whatever, whatever is perishable or combustible burns up, but the, the metal, the stone, the, what's precious, the gold, the, these stones would remain. What Paul's saying is those things that are built on Christ that are fitting for a temple, those things will not burn up. Build a church on those things. Build a church on the wonders and the beauties of Jesus Christ and the wonder and the beauty of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Build a church on, on, on these glorious truths that we see in Scripture. Don't build on something else. He says, but if the work that anybody has built on survives... He'll receive a reward. How, not just me as a, as a church leader, how, how I build on this foundation of Jesus Christ is that will, I will be rewarded if it survives. If this is a work that God is in, I'll be rewarded for it. But he's, he's saying let each one as well so that everyone will receive a reward based on how you work in the church, how you're building up this foundation. He says, when his work is burnt up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but as through fire. We're not going to build our church on, on cool programs or pop psychology. If you're looking for that, that stuff burns up. We're, we're not going to build a church on this hey, we are going to be the best church at everything that we do in this platform of excellence. And I'm not saying that it's not good to try to be excellent in what we do, but that's, that's not what we're about. We're a bunch of flawed people. We've been redeemed by God. That's what we're building on. And we're trying to, to grow and get better all the time. We're trying to stink a little less every day. <laughs> Maybe that should be our motto. <laughs> Stinking less every day. I'm just imagining a t-shirt now, so I, 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 it's <laughs> we're not going to build on what's popular or some social or political cause. Those things burn up. We're not going to build this church on, on fads or personas or what's impressive in the world's eyes. We're going to build this church on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Actually, we say that our vision for this church is to be, this is the vision for the church, it's pretty simple, is to be gospel-centered in, in our worship, in our community, in our mission. We're going to be, we want to be centered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That to inform everything we do in our worship together and how we worship him as a community, how we worship him individually with our lives. And, 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 then, and then we want to 
be centered in the gospel and our community and how we relate to each other in this community and in the community around us. And then, and then we also want to be gospel-centered, not just in, in our worship and our community, but the mission. When we, where we're taking out from here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we have. That's the foundation that we have. We can build on that. But let's not try to build anything else. I remember as a kid, uh, my family was caught up in the middle of a forest fire and everything around was burning. I mean, everything was burning for acres around me. And my sister, she took me, she swept me up, and she put me in the middle of a creek. And I was rescued, but I smelled like smoke. My siblings all fought this fire, and all of their clothes were burnt. They had to get rid of them. Their shoes got melted. And Paul's kind of giving the analogy. It's what it's what it'd be like. If we build our lives on anything else, it's all going to be burnt up. We're going to survive, but it's like only through fire. That's not how we're meant to live. And then he says in verse 16, he says, don't you know? Here's the truth of who you are, church. Here's the truth of who you are. He says, don't you know? You're God's temple. That's glorious. You are the place where people come to to see God. Together, as a church, when we gather, we magnify God. We glorify God. We together, the church gathered, are the temple of God. So God's name is glorified and exalted. And how we relate to each other is meant to to give evidence of God's work. He says, you're God's temple. The Spirit dwells in you. You're an embodiment of God's presence in the world. And so when you gather, don't. Don't undermine that. When you gather, it's significant. When you gather, this is God's temple gathering. This is God's field gathering. This is God's building. This is, the question is, do you treat each other like that? Do you, do you see each other as the temple of God, that, that God's spirit is in them, that, that you need to be gathered with them because you can't build a temple by throwing rocks in a bunch of different places? The church gathered is important, it's significant, it's how God's presence is revealed, not only to us, but to the world around us. How do you view the Sunday gathering? Do you view the Sunday gathering as, this is a gathering, we get together, we together are, are a place where people grow, we're God's field. When we get together, we're a place where we're, we're going to be built up. We need the church. We need to be here on Sundays. We need to be here in our, in our small groups. We need to be a part of the church. Do we, do we view each other that way, that we need to gather together because that's the way that God is glorified and magnified in the earth, and that's the way that, that we're going to exalt God and cause people to worship him like a temple. We're going to encounter the Spirit because his Spirit is in other people, and we're going to encounter his Spirit in here, maybe words of encouragement. Songs or hymns or spiritual songs. When you gather together, sing to each other in the Spirit is what it says. Usually your gifts when you talk about that later in the book or letter to the Corinthians. Don't take each other for granted. Don't think it's okay to have disagreements or strife or jealousy. If, if you think, hey, the church is a place where I, I want to get my own way and you're not considering the whole, you're behaving selfishly. He says, no, that's... That's revealing that you're thinking immaturely and you're forgetting whose building it is. This whole building, we we belong to God. We don't belong to ourselves. He says, did you forget that you belong to God? You are God's field. You belong to him. You are God's building. You belong to him. You are God's temple. You belong to him. Don't, Don't act as if you belong to yourself. 
And don't act as if other people don't belong to God either. They're destroying the church through divisions and strife. And so Paul tells them, look down at verse 17. He says, if anybody destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Do you, do you see how significant and important it is? The way that we relate to each other in the church is significant. How we're building in the church, it, it is important, it's significant. It actually has repercussions about our own walk with the Lord. He says, for God's temple is holy and you, church, are that temple. The church is where people grow. It's, it's how God's designed it. The church is where people are built up. That's how God's designed it. It's where people see the glory of God. Are you attending the church as God's field? Are you working on building the church knowing it's God's building, his plan, his purpose, his design, and building on that foundation of Jesus matters? Because you're a part of his purposes, his church, his temple, his building. Is there strife between you and other members of the church? Is there enmity? Is, is there jealousy? How do we resolve that? By, by remembering, by rebuilding on the foundation, this foundation of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Looking at each other through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Considering others as better than ourselves. Seeking to resolve it relationally. Don't let... There be jealousy and strife amongst us. Let there never be. How are you engaging with others in the church? Are you, are you engaged? Or are you a passive sampler? Uh, one of my favorite foods is Ethiopian food. I love it um, for, for many, many reasons. It's spicy. It's got tons of flavor. But it's a little weird, right? It's, it's, it's mush, and you have piles of mush, and they put it on this indiera bread. It's this uh, flat, sour bread that they put in a big dish. But one of the other th reasons I love it is because it's a communal experience. Because you, you don't have utensils when you eat at a traditional Ethiopian restaurant or Ethiopian home. And they, they serve these plops of food on this communal plate. And, and you share. And, and you know, you're not going to take too much of one thing because you want to make sure there's some for somebody else because you're all sharing this off this communal plate together with this little iniera that you dip into it with your hand and you eat together. And there's just something so communal and shared that it's a, it's a neat experience. There's a bond when you're eating Ethiopian food. In contrast, you have places like the Golden Corral, you know, like a big buffet. It's not really a communal experience. You don't feel like you're sharing. You just pick and you choose, and you pass over what you're not interested in, and then you go back to your own table. That, that's not what the church is to be. It's going to be like Ethiopian food. You know, we're, we're gathering together. We're community. We're sharing together. Are you, are you treating the church that way? Or are you treating it like Golden Corral? Just passing over what you're not interested in. Picking and choosing. And then you go back to your own place. You see, the church is together God's holy temple. It's vitally important to God. It's meant to be the only... Here's the thing, it's meant to, the church is meant to be the only genuine alternative to the pagan world. It's the place where people submit to one another in Christ, where we love one another in Christ, where we consider each other as more significant than ourselves, where we defer, where we sacrifice, where we honor, where we don't trust the wisdom of the world or don't look for it, where we're not built on slick marketing or Appeals to people, what people want to hear, or to try to be relevant and hip and cool. And church is the place where we're not 
we're not building cliques, we're tearing them down. It's, it's not to be built in shadowy, showy leaders, but it's meant to be built in a place that worships and glorifies and honors God. And that's what we're a part of. And that's glorious. You get to be a part. We get to be a part of this. We get to be a part of God's field, God's building, and God's temple. Together, let's lock arms. Let's, let's, let's plow the field together. Let's, let's build this building together. Let's, let's worship God together as this gospel-centered church in our, in our worship, in our community, in our mission. Amen? Let's pray, and then we'll close. Father, thank you for your word that brings hope to us. Thank you for your word where it's brought correction. Lord, thank you that you only bring correction because you want us to grow, because you've already done away with any condemnation or shame or guilt. You put that all on Christ. And so, Lord, there's hope now to grow where you've brought sight to grow. God, thank you that we are your field, that we grow here. Lord, I pray that we would grow in you together as a church. Lord, I pray that, that as a building we would be built up together in you, that, that we, would, we would renounce any other foundation and we would only build on the foundation of Jesus Christ and we wouldn't, we wouldn't build with that which is perishable and, and earthly and worldly, Lord, but we would, we would build on, on your gold, on your words, Lord. I pray that we would, we would build with these precious jewels of the gospel. And Father, I pray that we together would be a place that, that where you are exalted in each and every one of our hearts, Lord, but together as a church, that we would exalt you, that we would be a place that honors you and worships you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.